open your Bibles, please, to John 14. And this evening, Lord willing, we're going to complete this chapter. Made a comment to our, our brother David uh, Briggs in Texas this past week. I said, I was able to move along fairly well at a pretty good clip through the Gospel of John until we hit chapter 13. <laughs> now we've gotten into the theology. And now we slow down. Mm. Last week we heard that Jesus giving his disciples more astounding promises to them. He says when the Holy Spirit comes, both he and the Father would move in and make their home with them. Jesus and the Father would be in them and they would be in him. And what that meant for them. Jesus also defined what love for him is. It's treasuring and obeying his commandments. And if all we have is this sentimental affection for Jesus, but yet we don't obey him, then we don't love him, according to what Jesus says. And this evening, we're going to hear our Lord Jesus, I almost said, attempt to comfort his disciples. Maybe at this time that might be a correct thing to say. God doesn't attempt to do anything. He does it. But in his humanity and considering the mental and emotional state of his disciples at this point, he's attempting to comfort them by reminding them that he's in control of all that's happening. I want us to read verses 25 through 31. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, while remaining with you. But the advocate, or we could say the helper, or the comforter, or the encourager, or the teacher, whatever title of the Holy Spirit you want to use there. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you. For the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. And we're going to stop there and leave that last little phrase for next week. Hmm. Lord, this is your word. This is you speaking to us tonight. So we pray that out of this word, that you would make it plain to us just what you're doing 
and who you are. That we might see you more clearly as you are. That we might grow in the grace and knowledge of you. That we might be well pleasing to you. So teach us please now out of this word. Amen. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while abiding or remaining with you. These things. And everything that he's taught them since they've been in the upper room. That goes back to chapter 13 verse 1. He's taught them a lot of things. Now, put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Listen to all these things that I was picking out. And I left some out. But all these things that the Lord Jesus has, if I can use the term, laid on them this evening. Serve one another like I've served you. That one of them would betray him. How can that happen? You're supposed to be crowned king. But that one of them would betray him. That he's going away and they can't come now. That he's going to the father's house. But he will come back later and take them to be with him in his father's house. He taught them 14.6 that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He's told them that to see him is to see the Father. Now that's where their brain starts to reel at that point. Because the Father is in him. He promised that he would answer all prayers in his name. Not this time that the Father would answer, but that he would answer all prayers in his name so that the Father would be glorified in the Son. He promised to send another helper just exactly like him, the Holy Spirit. And he lays the groundwork for our understanding of the Trinity as we move forward in the New Testament. He tells them about the mutual indwelling of the Father and the Son and by implication of the Holy Spirit. He tells them that God and I have to be careful when I say this not just the Holy Spirit but God God indwells believers. And he just told them what it means to love him. Now in verse 26, he gives them another promise about the Holy Spirit. And he says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. See, Jesus has more to teach them. But he's going to say in just a moment... I'm not going to do that tonight. I have much more to say to you. But when the Holy Spirit comes, He'll teach you all that I have to say to you. Because it's going to be Him, excuse me, it's going to be me teaching you through Him. Hmm. And then He says, uh, there in verse 26, Whom the Father will send in my name. In my name. Hmm. What does that mean? That means that when the Father sends the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes to them 
Holy Spirit is going to be Jesus' presence with them again. Mm. And that when the Holy Spirit teaches them, it's Jesus teaching them again. Jesus continues to teach his disciples after he leaves. Remember Acts chapter 1? Oh, Theophilus, Harry Maple's paraphrase. Okay. You know, oh, most excellent Theophilus, I wrote the previous letter to you yeah. about all of the things that Jesus began to do and teach before he was taken up. He continues to do and teach through the Holy Spirit. He's going to teach them, but he's also going to teach us. Notice there, He's going to teach the apostles in the book of Acts that Gentiles are saved by faith in himself just like Jews are saved by faith. That Gentiles don't have to become Jews. That Gentiles are part of the body of Christ. Now, they don't use that words. They don't use those words in uh, Acts. But that's, that's what he's teaching. He's teaching of that. All of the doctrine that we find in the epistles is Jesus teaching after he leaves. After the Holy Spirit comes. It's, all of this is after his ascension back to the Father. So that's what he's talking about here. When he says, he will teach you all things. Everything I intend for you to know. Everything I want you to learn. Now he's not going to teach you what the diameter of a molecule is or the diameter of an electron is. But he's going to teach us everything we need to know about him and about God and about pleasing God. And then notice what he says. And the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. That's where we get the Gospels. Now think about John. John's writing this book perhaps 60 years after the, the events happened. 60 years. Now, if you're a preterist and you say, no, it's only 40 years, that's 40 years after the events happened. And he remembers all these details. He remembers Jesus' very words and writes them down. How can he do that? It's supernatural. The Holy Spirit brought to his remembrance all that Jesus taught him. Did the same thing for the other uh, writers of the Gospels as well. Mm. And then in verse 27. This is where we get to, if I can use the word, the overused word, key of this passage here. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. That second part there. Don't let your heart be troubled or be fearful. What does that sound like? That sounds like the very first verse of this chapter. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. We know that. What we have here, 
This is what Jesus has, this is the purpose of Jesus teaching all these things. This is what Jesus is doing from chapter 14 on. Is he's comforting their hearts. He's reminding them of what's going on. He's teaching them all these things so that they won't be thrown off. So that they won't be fearful. So they won't be in turmoil internally. Now he's telling them that, but he's told us a lot of things. And have we done everything he's told us to do? So are their hearts still in turmoil? Are they still fearful? Are they still afraid? Yes. Yeah. He says, I give you peace. My peace. Not as the world gives it. The peace that the world gives is external peace. It's on the outside. It's what's happening around us and to us. In other words, the world's peace is no war. The world's peace is no conflict in my little life. No conflict in my home. No conflict at work. No conflict with my neighbors. See, it's all on the outside. It's what's happening around me. In other words, everything's going my way. Zippity-doo-dah. Zippity-yay. My, oh my, what a wonderful day. Yes, everything's going my way. Now, that's the world's peace. And when everything's not going your way, the world has no peace. But he says, my peace. My peace. His peace is on the inside. His peace is spiritual peace. His peace is assurance that we're right with God. Assurance that we've been accepted by God. Assurance that we are justified, adopted, that we are the children of God. That he will never leave us and he'll never forsake us. It's an assurance that God is in complete, absolute control. Ephesians 1.11 That he works all things after the counsel of his will. All things. Romans 8.28 That God works all things together for good to them that love him. All things. We need that. They need that. Especially when you can't figure out how this can possibly be for good. When you got your cancer report, how can this possibly be for good? When I got my cancer report, how can this possibly be for good? When your your mother or your father's dying, how can this possibly be for good? When your brother is killed in Vietnam and you're lost, how can this possibly be for good? Well, if the Lord uses that to shake you and bring you to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it certainly is for good. But he's saying here, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. I'm in control. I'm in control. You look at things and from the disciples' perspective, though, and they say, don't let our hearts be troubled. That don't, don't let our hearts be fearful that you're going to work all things out for good if they are read ahead in the future. How can this possibly be good? You're leaving us. 
and we can't go. How in the world can that possibly be for good? Think about some of the, the things that I've read about B.B. Warfield, the, the great Presbyterian theologian. On his honeymoon, his wife had an accident and she was paralyzed and confined to a wheelchair for the rest of her life. On their honeymoon. How in the world can that be possibly for good? Think about Eric's ongoing pain. His back pain. By the way, the good news is, Melody told me this morning that uh, the insurance company has approved the MRI and that he's going to have the MRI not this week, but next week. They're going to schedule it for next week. What about those migraines that afflict him? Wakes up at 4 o'clock in the morning and he can't see out of one eye because of the migraine. And then he calls me at 6.30 in the morning and you can just hear the pain in his voice as he's telling me that he wa he's not going to be able to make it today because he can't even see. Much less read. Hmm. His sleeplessness. For those of us that have gone through sleep deprivation, it's awful. And those nights he can't sleep because of pain. How can that possibly be for good? What about persecution? Uh, Voice of the Martyrs, I get that every, every week, that report. And there'll be three specific prayer requests from around the world every week. Things that keep popping up regularly. Nigeria, India, Christian pastors being murdered. Christian congregations being attacked by either Muslims or Hindus. In Laos and Vietnam, you, you have the, the most recent one. Uh, this one fellow was a, a demonic fortune teller. And he was making a lot of money. He would, people would come to him to have their fortunes told. and He was helping the police department, Laos, with uh, cases and this sort of thing. And giving them information to help them solve cases. And then he comes to faith in Christ. And the village had just given him a big piece of land to farm. And he had just spent a lot of money having uh, other men come in there and prepare this land for farming. And then he comes to Christ. And the village takes the farm away. And his home away. And now you find yourself homeless. It happens over and over in Vietnam and Laos. How can that be good? Eritrea on the Horn of Africa. Pastors in the small church there in Eritrea, arrested by the communist government, taken out to an island <coughs> that they used for a prison, and being held in shipping containers in the Horn of Africa in that heat. That's their prison cells. And they may never get out of there alive. How can that be good? And yet, and yet, Jesus says, my peace I give to you in all of that. The, what Roman, uh, excuse me, Philippians 4, 6 calls the peace of God that passes all understanding. You're in a, a shipping container and it's 110 degrees outside and no telling how hot it is inside in Eritrea. And yet he promises, my peace I give to you. You're suffering in there. Uh, you, you have none of the world's peace. Uh, you, your body is being 
to use a big word, afflicted in there. And you're hungry. And you're sick. And yet he says, my peace I give to you. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what it means when he says, nor let it be fearful. Because my peace guards your heart. Don't let your heart be troubled by what you don't understand. I mean, that goes right back to the very first verse. I'm going to the Father's house. I'm going away. And you can't figure it out. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You don't understand it? Don't worry about it. Don't let your hearts be fearful because of what's happening to you. I'm in control. I'm here. I'm here with you is what he's saying. That's what this whole portion of this gospel is about. I'm in control and I'll be here with you. But you're going away. But I'm sending another comforter who will be with you, what did he say? Forever. Mm. Verse 28. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. Yes, we heard it. You said it three times. And that's why our hearts are troubled. And that's why we're fearful. Mm. If you love me, you would rejoice because I go to the Father. If you love me. Now that's a sting. I'm returning to heaven. I've told you that. I'm going back to the Father's house. That's the ultimate, absolute best that anybody could ever have, that anybody could ever hope for. If you loved me, you'd rejoice that I'm going to get the very best that's possible. But you're not concerned about what's best for me. You're so wrapped up in yourselves. You're so wrapped up in what you figure you're losing that you don't consider what I'm about to gain. Mm. When a Christian's dying, now most of us have gone through this, or will. When your parents die, and your mother or your father is in Christ, and you know they're dying, we rejoice. Now, there's pain, there's the ache, there's the tears, but we rejoice. We love them. They're leaving here. They're going to the Father's house. Both when my father and my mother were dying in Moore County Hospital. I remember it was about, from about 5 o'clock in the morning, and I was standing there by my father's bed, and he had that death rattle. And the nurse had already told me, it won't be long now. And so I stood there and I prayed and I cried. And I read scripture to him. I didn't know if he could hear me or not. 
And I just said, Pappy, go on home. I'm going to take care of Ma. You don't have to worry about Ma. If you're hanging on because you're concerned about Ma, you can't do anything for her anyway, but you go on home. You, you go home to Grandpa and Grandma. You go home to Jesus. Just go on home. And I'm going to be here to take care of everything else. And I'll see you later. When Mama was dying, I did the same thing. I knew that, that she was dying. I, couldn't, I could hardly see the sheets move when she breathed. Just barely see the sheets move when she breathed. And I stood by her bed and read scripture and prayed with her. And I said, Ma, the Lord's waiting. He, he's ready to receive you. You go on home. Go on home and meet Pappy. And Grandma and Grandpa. You know, they're all waiting for you. And even though my heart broke when the nurse came in and said, and I was sitting there just watching Ma, and she said, I think she's gone. And then she checked her, and she said, yes, she's gone. And there was this, this wave, this tsunami of grief that just welled up inside of me. And when it peaked out, the peace of God that passes all understanding came over me like a syrup and just swallowed me up. She's home. She's home. She and Pappy are together again. She's back with her family again. She's with the Lord Jesus. All of the saints that have gone before have welcomed my home. She's in heaven. She'll never have sorrow ever again. When a Christian's dying, we can rejoice because that's what they're going to. And then he says this thing that's, that's strange. Look at verse 28. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And the Jehovah's Witnesses jump all over that. See? See? Well, see what? All he says is the Father is greater than I. Is he contradicting what he said in 1030? That I and the Father are one? No. He's still co-equal with the Father. He's still co-eternal with the Father. He's still co-self-existence with the Father. He still is, as he said in John chapter 8, Yahweh, the I am of the burning bush. He is God just like the Father is God. But remember the economy of the Trinity. The Father is always presented as the first person of the Trinity. The Son is begotten out of him. The Spirit proceeds from him. He eternally begets. And I, and I don't even pretend to try to grasp what that means. The Father gives his Son the kingdom. The Father gives his Son the preeminence, Colossians 1.19. The Father gives his Son the authority to judge mankind on the last day. To be the judge on the last day. John chapter 5. The Father sends the Son. In John 6, the Lord Jesus says, I have not come on my own authority, but to do the will of him who has sent me. And this is the will of him who has sent me. 
that of all he has given me I should lose nothing but raise it up on the last day and this is the will of my father who has sent me that everyone who sees the son and believes in him will have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day see the father sent the son now the sender is always greater than the one sent right so that's what the Lord Jesus is saying here the son is always willingly and joyfully submissive to the father look at verse 31 so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Jesus, now hear what I say and don't hear what I don't say. Jesus in his created humanity is by definition in his humanity inferior to God the Father because humanity is inferior to the Father. To God. Now Jesus in his deity. Is co-equal with the father. Hmm. Remember. Jesus is pouring all this on them. And these poor guys. These 11 men. Their heads are reeling. With all this new teaching. Teaching that they won't begin to understand. Until the day of Pentecost. And the Lord Jesus knows that. And he tells them why he's loaded. All of this on them. Look at verse 29. And now I have told you before it happens. All these things. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to be, well, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be turned over to our enemies. I'm, then I'm going away. And then I'll come back again. And I'm going to the Father. He says, And now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. You see, when Jesus is crucified to death, they're going to be tempted to think, were we wrong? Have we been so excited about the possibility of him being Messiah that we deceived ourselves? Were the Pharisees right? I mean, if he is God's son, if he is God's Messiah, how could he possibly have been crucified? Hmm. And then they'll remember. Mm -hmm. He said, I go to my father. And after a little while, the world will see me no longer. And then they'll remember on the third day when they see him alive and they touch him and they feel him and they hear his voice and they'll remember that he said, but you will see me. And they remember that he promised this. And when the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost and fills them and they realize he promised this. And they'll remember that their Lord has returned to them in spirit. They'll remember he's promised, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He told us all this before any of this happened. And the Holy Spirit begins bringing to their, to their remembrance all the things that he said to them. And they're going to remember, he told us this. He, he promised this is what would happen. And they'll believe. They'll believe that 
He's everything he said he is. They'll believe that he's one with the Father. They'll believe that he is the I am Yahweh. They'll believe he's the Son of God and that he's God the Son. That he can indeed forgive the sins of whoever he chooses to forgive the sins. And he can forgive their sins. And has. That he can give eternal life to all those who have faith in him. And he's given them eternal life. They'll believe that he has secured their place in the Father's house in heaven. Because he said he would. I go prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And they'll believe that. And they'll believe that he will visibly, physically return back to them. To take them to the Father's house. And realizing that all of this is true. And believing all of this that the Lord Jesus has said to them as the Holy Spirit's bringing it all back to their memory. They'll be bursting with joy and praise and thanksgiving and love. And they'll go out on the day of Pentecost and preach Jesus and 3,000 will be saved in one day. And believing in him, they will endure the hatred and persecution that that's going to result in. And they will keep on believing in him and believing what he said and believing all that he promised. Now, back to the upper room. Look at verse 30. I will not speak much more with you. I have much more to say, but I'm not going to speak much more with you tonight. For the ruler of the world is coming. That's obviously Satan, the prince of the power of the air. And he has nothing in me. What do you mean he has nothing in me? Satan's coming with his mob. And they're going to arrest him. They're going to drag him down to Anna's house and Caiaphas' house. And then they're going to abuse him and mock him and then they're going to slap him and then they're going to blaspheme against him and then they're going to take him over to Pilate and then Pilate's going to have him scourged and then they'll take him out and crucify him and the prince of the power of the air will kill him or at least he thinks he kills him but he can't keep him dead He has nothing in me. Why do corpses stay dead? Because it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. We die because we're sinners. The wages of sin is? Death. So we die and our bodies stay dead. Until Christ comes back. But he has nothing in me. Hmm. There's nothing in me that he can grab hold of and say see see now there's plenty in me that he can grab hold of I mean he has lots in me I mean I'm like Martin Luther you know Martin Luther had a dream where he was in bed and Satan came into his bedroom and he had a huge role and it was all of Martin Luther's sins he said, you call yourself a Christian and you did this and this and this and this and this. And you're just going right down through the list of sins. And Martin Luther said, you're right. You're right. 
I'm guilty of every one of them. And the devil's smiling and smirking. And Martin Luther said, now right at the bottom of that, covered by the blood of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> See, he has all these things that he can grab a hold of in me. He has a lot in me. But there's no handle in Jesus he can grab hold of. There's no sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has nothing in me. So he's going to kill this innocent man. This, the only innocent man. And he's not going to be able to keep him dead. He's going to raise from the dead. Look at verse 31. But so the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Now they don't know at this point that he's talking about going to the cross. See, Satan is coming to me. The ruler of this world is coming to us. He's going to be with us in just a few hours. He's going to meet us with his mob on the side of Gethsemane in just a few hours. And they're going to drag me off and they're going to nail me to a cross. But I'm not running. I'm going to meet him head on. I'm going to walk up to him face to face. I shudder at the thought of what I'm about to endure for you. It's unthinkable what I'm about to endure for you. But I'm not running away. Because this is my father's commandment for me. To buy you for himself. To save you, as we talked about this morning, so he can adopt you. But so the world may know that I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. He commanded me to give up my life for you. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. The Father's eternal purpose is that you might be saved. And just as obedience to my words proves that you love me and is the definition of loving me. So my obedience to my Father is going to prove beyond a doubt that I love him. It proves my love for him and it proves his love for us. You remember 13.1? Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. The prospect of being forsaken by the Father, even for a few hours, is more than Jesus can stand. But yet there's more. Suffering all the Father's wrath for our sins. Draining the last drop of fiery wrath that we deserve for us knowing that he has only a few hours left before they take him away before they strip him before they flog him before they put a crown of thorns on his head before they take him out and crucify him all of this filled him with dread so that even in his humanity at Gethsemane he drew back from it if it's possible remove this cup from me but if not, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as he commanded me. If not, not my will, but your will be done. He 
He's not going to hide from the ruler of the world. He's not going to run from the mob. He's going to walk up to them. He's going to turn himself over to them. And he's going to let them scourge him and crucify him. He's going to bear our sins in his body on the tree exactly as the Father has commanded him. And he's telling them all this even though they don't understand what I was just talking about that he's talking about his crucifixion so that when all of this happens their hearts won't be fearful they won't be dismayed let not your heart be fearful neither let it be afraid believe in God believe also in me hallelujah what a savior stand with me please Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And we are dismissed. <laughs>